Well, we're continuing our journey. If you weren't here last week, we launched a uh, new sermon series entitled Putting Feet to Our Faith as we walk through the book of James. This really is, of all the books in the New Testament, the most practical book, book for putting your feet to the street, for doing what it is that God has called us to do, for what Miss Sarah said about uh, being doers and not just hearers of the Word of God. I said this last week and I'll say it again. If you're new to Christianity or if you're new to the Bible, here's an encouragement and a challenge. The encouragement is there's not a whole lot about the book of James that's difficult to understand. The challenge is putting it into practice because as with many things in the Christian life, it's simple, but it's not easy. And that's what the book of James really is all about. Practical Christianity. We say we believe up here. What does our life look like from day to day? That's what James, every week as we go through this book, is gonna, he's going to engage us and challenge us to say, does your life prove what it is that you believe? Jesus says that uh, when he talks about fruit trees, he said, you will know them by their fruit, what type of tree they are. And so one, things that, one of the things that James does throughout this letter is he continues to examine what type of fruit we should have in our lives. And Well, today as we shift gears from James 1 verses 5 through 8... We're going to be talking about the idea of gaining godly wisdom, okay? Gaining godly wisdom. So I'd like to start with something to think about. Here's the question. Do you know the difference between knowledge and wisdom? Do you know the difference between knowledge and wisdom? It wasn't my second week here as a pastor when the great theologian Eddie Jones was happy to answer that question for me. Perhaps you've heard this old proverb before. I believe Eddie puts it a little better than some. He said that knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is making sure you don't put it in your fruit salad. And I think that's a perfect way of putting knowledge and wisdom. So to put it in other terms, knowledge is the accumulation of facts and figures, but wisdom is knowing how those facts and figures should translate to our daily lives. And it's a very dangerous thing to have a lot of knowledge, but not a lot of wisdom. And perhaps you've met people like that in your life, because I certainly have. As I was praying through this message, I thought of a time at seminary a couple of years ago. It was one of my first semesters at, uh, at the seminary in North Carolina. And if you've ever been on a seminary campus with 2,500 or 3,000 students who all love God's Word, there's a whole lot of knowledge there. But there isn't always a whole lot of wisdom. And we had this class that had about 200 students in it, a big lecture class. It was a Theology one class. And I always sat in the back, but I was always raising my hand, asking a lot of questions. I was not there to tell them what I knew. I wanted to know what they knew. But there was a student who used to sit on the left side about the third row, and he had something smart to say on every single thing the professor would ask. I mean, he just had an answer for everything. He was arrogant. He called out without being called on. I mean, he had an answer for everything. And, and, and the whole class would just go, oh. Week after week after week after, this guy would just, just, just wax eloquently about all this theology that he understood and knew. And then finally, one week, my professor had enough of it. And if you could picture in your mind, this is how I picture it. If you've ever watched National Geographic, where like a lion is in the jungle and he's just sitting there comfortably as all these gazelles are running by and he's just waiting for dinner. And all of a sudden, he finally had enough. A gazelle got a little bit too close and he just decides to pounce. Well, my professor, who was a godly man and also a wise man, he waited until the final moment where he just couldn't take it anymore. And for two minutes, he lit the student up like a Christmas tree. I mean, he, he theologically beat him to the ground, and then he told him to be quiet and stop being a jerk. And like the whole back row was doing this right here. I got like seven or eight amens, and I thought that was a perfect example of knowledge without wisdom. It's a dangerous thing. 
to be someone filled with all the head knowledge that you would, you would win thousands of dollars on Jeopardy, but you don't have the wisdom necessary to guide your family and to live according to the ways of the Lord. And let me say this before we uh, open up God's Word and pray together. There is a difference between earthly wisdom and godly wisdom. Now, I want to say, earthly wisdom is not a bad thing. It's a very good thing. In fact, there are men in this world who are not Christian who I seek wisdom from on a daily basis. Wisdom on how to live life in this world because they've done it longer than I have. Wisdom on how to use a propane gas grill. Wisdom on how to change a tire. Wisdom in what to do when your daughter will not sleep for more than two hours. Wisdom. Go seek it. It's available. Here's the thing, and here's why maybe I was probably harder last week than I've been in a while in preaching, especially to men. If you are a father or a grandfather and all you do is provide your children or grandchildren earthly wisdom, that has value. But when you stand before God, all that earthly wisdom is going to burn up along with the planet itself. But when you offer godly wisdom, when you teach them how to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, you are laying a foundation that will last for all of eternity. That's the type of wisdom that we're going to talk about here today. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to the book of James. If you don't have a Bible, grab one in your pew. Your pew Bibles, it'll be on page 1199. Okay, we're at the beginning of James, so if you're new to the Bible, that number one's the chapter, the big number. Small number of the verses, we'll be looking at verses 5 through 8. And if you would stand out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, and errant word, again, we are in James chapter 1, and we'll be looking at verses 5 through 8. Hear the word of our Lord, starting in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, stable, unstable in all his ways. Let us pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. Again, we thank you and praise you that you have opened up, opened up your, your home to us, that you have given us your spirit, and now we seek your wisdom. Father, I, I'm so grateful that you are a God who loves to give wisdom to those who will seek it from you. And so I pray in our time together here this morning as we open up your word, that your spirit would open up our hearts and minds to receive this truth, and that all of us would go seeking continued wisdom directly from you as its source. Be with us now, Father, and help us to be men and women of wisdom who love you and who want to be a part of the expansion of your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. So now we know what this wisdom is, this godly wisdom, this ability to understand and live for Jesus Christ, to become more like Jesus, to be a part of his kingdom, to love others the way that Jesus loves others, to say and think and do the things that Jesus would have us to do. We know what the wisdom is, but how do we get it? How do we get that wisdom? Well, again, I love James because he doesn't beat around the bush and he doesn't make it a very difficult thing to understand. How do we get this wisdom? There's three things that I'd like to make mention of here today. And the first of those three is this, very simple. Number one, wisdom is gained by asking God. Wisdom is gained by asking God. Look at the first part of verse five. Here's what it says. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Before you say, think, or do anything else, when you want to follow the Lord, 
you go to the Lord and you ask Him for help. Now, why don't we do this? Well, as I prayed through this, I've just got maybe four reasons why we typically don't ask God for wisdom. Just four. These aren't the only four, but these are the first four and maybe the most prominent four that came to my mind. All right, four reasons why we don't ask God for wisdom. Well, number one, we don't pray. We don't pray. I mean, in 2017, I think one thing that we are guilty of is uttering words like, well, I'll keep you in my prayers. I'll pray for you. We've been praying for you. How many times have you said that and that entire week you never dropped to your knees whatsoever? You never uttered a single word of prayer to God. And trust me when I say that I'm, I'm guilty of these things as well, especially now as a pastor when I'm asked to pray for a lot. There are days that I, I run home and I, ru- I write down everything I've been asked to pray for because I want to be faithful to it. But then there's days where it just slips through the cracks and I don't pray. And I wonder how I made it through the day without praying. But we just don't pray. I don't think we ask God for anything either because we're lazy and we want instantaneous gratification. There's nothing instant about prayer. Or we just don't believe. I mean, how much does prayer really change things, we may ask ourselves. So we don't pray. And week after week after week, nothing really changes. And so we just give up. But not only do we not pray, sometimes we pray, but we ask for less important things. I mean, look at a prayer list. What do we pray for? Provision and God's healing in medical concerns. If you look at a prayer list, 90% of the things we see on a prayer list are medical concerns. Is that wrong? No. We could, we should, and, and I'm glad that we do. Pray for the medical needs of the people in this church and in this community because that's what God has called us to do. When I'm in physical pain, I want people praying for me. So I'm telling you right now, there's nothing wrong with that. But that should not be the extent of our prayers. This is a good thing. God is blessed, and we'll talk about it in a minute. God is blessed when you come to Him and say, God, give me wisdom. Help me here. I don't know what I'm doing. Help me. God's blessed by those prayers. I think two more reasons why we don't ask God is we don't seek wisdom at all. We just live life by the moment. We, we seek pleasure and not wisdom. Our goal in life is as much comfort and pleasure as we can find, and we don't necessarily care about living for the Lord. We just want to live for the moment. In America, that's pretty prominent. And then uh, finally, we seek wisdom primarily from other sources. So maybe there are some who want wisdom, but they go everywhere else but God to find it. All right, I've been guilty of buying a lot of books on how to do certain things, and sometimes I can rely on books more than I rely on the good book. All right, I've been guilty of that in my life. For whatever the reason may be, ask yourself this question. When's the last time that you sought God in prayer and specifically asked Him for wisdom? God, give me wisdom to lead my family. God, give me wisdom to nurture my family. Give me wisdom to lead this person to the Lord. Give me wisdom to be a representation of the Lord in front of this person. You know, when we don't seek wisdom from God, but we try to seek it in other places and get it secondhand, I try to pray for an illustration that would make a lot of sense. I think this is probably would fit best. To not go to God for wisdom is like driving all the way to North Carolina to get a bag of Idalia onions when your daddy's an onion farmer in Toombs County. I mean, think about that. It's right there at the source, and you have direct access to it, but you go all the way around trying to find it in other places. God is saying, I have all the wisdom you possibly could need to do what I've called you to do, but you've got to ask me. And why do we have to ask God more than once? Have you, ever, have you ever wondered that? You pray for the same prayers over and over and over again? It's not that God forgot, but it's that in continuing to ask Him, 
you engage in a relationship where you grow closer to Him and you begin to see as you ask that He begins to answer. You know, I had, I had the... Uh, I'm the type of person that likes to have all my ducks in a row. Before, I mean, I, I double and triple check things before I do anything. And God this year flipped my life upside down. He made me a pastor and a father within three months span. And that, that's not my universe. I am in uncharted waters. And so I ask God for wisdom an awful lot because I certainly lack it in many areas. I've never been a pastor. I've never been a father. But I do know I pray for that every week. I have it on my prayer list. There's actual words I pray for God to give me wisdom. Because if He doesn't, I'm just going to make it up on the fly. And yeah, you can learn a few things that way. There's an element of parenting you can't learn until you actually do it as I'm learning. But how much more could I learn by just asking God to give me the wisdom to do what He's called me to do as God's man in His house? I pray about that a lot. You know, one area that I... I think about a lot as well as um, when I'm doing counseling in the office. You know, the way that my window is set up, I can see when somebody's pulling into the parking lot. And if you've ever come for counseling, and there's been quite a few sessions for many of you in this room that have come and sought me for counsel, I can tell you from the time you get out of your car to the time that you get into my office, I'm praying the whole time. Even as I go to the front door and I answer it and you come in, I'm saying hi to you, but in my mind I'm saying, God, help me. Give me wisdom. Let me be God's man for this person right now. Let me lead them closer to the Lord than they've ever been. Without that prayer, I'm nothing. I've got nothing to offer. But with that wisdom, God can use me as an instrument to continue to build His kingdom, and He can do it for you as well. You don't have to be a pastor. All right, If you're a father or you're a mother, you're already God's instrument in His house. And He wants to use you, but you have to ask for it. So again, I want you to think, when's the last time you asked for God's wisdom to fulfill His will for your life? We have to gain wisdom by asking God. That leads me to number two. Not only do we have to ask God, but wisdom is gained by knowing God. All right, let's read the whole verse five. Okay, the beginning that we just read is, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. But look how the verse ends. Who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. When you know God's heart, it will change how you pray. When you know what God desires, when you know what God wants to give you, and he's eagerly as a father saying, I've got all this wisdom and I want to pour it into you to make you a wise man or a wise woman that you could live out the fulfillment of, of your mission on this planet. When you know how much God wants to give it to you, it'll change the way that you pray and that you ask for it. And I'm going to give you the perfect example. I want to read one uh, extended passage of Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, I've got one more thing for you to turn to. All right, if you have your Bibles, it's uh, 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. If you have a pew Bible, I'll make it quick for you. It's page 332. Page 332 in your pew Bibles. I think this story in the Scriptures does a better job than almost any story in terms of knowing God's heart to give us wisdom. All right, 1 Kings chapter 3. All right. Oh, love that sound. All right, 1 Kings chapter 3, again, page 332 in your pew Bibles. I'm just going to read this out loud, and I hope as I go through this passage, you'll see where God's heart is when it comes to giving wisdom. All right, here's the scene. Let me set the scene for you. We're in 1 Kings 3. We're going to read verses 5 through 14. King Solomon has just been named king of Israel. And by all accounts, we know that he's still very young. In fact, he may have been 13 or 14 years old. He had just become a teenager. 
And he's told to be the king of all of Israel. And not only that, he's following in the footsteps of his father, King David, who at that time was the greatest king that had ever led Israel. And so Solomon's like 13 years old, and he's saying, how in the world am I going to govern these people? And what happens? God comes to him in a dream with a blank check. And he says, Solomon, ask for anything, and I'll give it to you. Watch what Solomon does. And watch how God responds. All right? 1 Kings 3, 5 through 14. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart towards you. You have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now... O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this your great people? Now verse 10, here's the key. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. There is no other passage in the Old Testament, I think, that perfectly illustrates God's desire to give us wisdom. You have Solomon He's 13 years old. God has made him king. He says, God, I'm so young and immature. I don't know how to go in or come out. I need help. I don't know what I'm doing. God says, ask me anything and I'll give it to you. Gave him a blank check. And what what does Solomon put in the memo of that check? Wisdom for discerning how to be a king. And what does God say? You have honored me with this request. And not only am I going to give this to you, but because you were so unselfish and asking for wisdom to do my will, I'm going to give you riches and honor on top of that. Now, I'm not promising for all of us that we go and ask God for wisdom that he's also going to bless us with a a brand new house with tray ceilings and granite marble countertops. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying this. When you start with wisdom and work your way back from there, you can be rest assured the nature of God is that He has that wisdom and He wants to give it to you. He wants you to be a better husband. He wants you to be a better wife. He wants you to be a better child. He wants you to be a better uncle or grandparent. And it's never too late to start. If you still have oxygen in your lungs, you can be that person that God's called you to be to serve the will He's called you to serve. But you've got to ask Him. And number two, you've got to know Him. You gotta know what his desire is because when you know his heart, you'll go after his heart. 
I want wisdom. I want as much wisdom as, the, as God will give me, as much as I can handle, as much as I can be faithful to what God gives me. I want that wisdom because I want to be a good father and I want to be a good pastor and I want to be a good son and a good uncle. All the roles that God's put me in, I want to do what God's called me to do so that when I stand before him at the day of judgment, I can look at him and say, God, in all my failings, I did the best I could. I did the best I could. And maybe I'll hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. There's nothing more fulfilling than hearing those words. I'll never be a scratch par golfer. Okay? I've learned now at age 36, the major leagues aren't calling me. Um, there's a lot of things that I'm never going to get a chance to do that as a teenager I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life doing. But I promise you this, no matter where I go, no matter what I do, if when I die, I stand at the feet of God's throne, bowing before Him, calling out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God and the Lamb, and I hear Him in response say to me, well done, thy good and faithful servant, then every minute will have been worth it. But we've got to ask Him. We've also got to know Him. And third and finally... Wisdom is gained by believing God. We've got to ask Him. We've got to know Him. But we also have to believe Him. When He says what He says, we've got to believe it. And we've got to understand His purpose in it. All right? Verses 6 through 8 say this. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable, in all his ways. All right, let me make a differentiation here of what that means when it talks about faith and doubt. Does this mean that God will not bless you with wisdom if you have questions about the Christian faith? No. Anyone who I've ever met who's genuine, who wants to know the Lord, they have questions about the Bible. And they question sometimes why God does certain things. I've said it before. In the Psalms, you see it over and over where David and other psalmists will say, why, God, why? It's okay to question why God does certain things. But this type of doubt is questioning God's character. It's questioning, God, why should I pray to you? You don't even want to give this to me. Or even worse, you don't have the capability of giving me the wisdom that I need. And so what do we do? Instead of going to God, we go to Google. It's 2017. We, we, we get rid of God. We go to Google. We doubt that God can give us what we want, so we seek it for answers from Googling. And then all of a sudden, we're just like that passage said, we're like tossed back and forth by the waves. I remember when I first became a Christian. I was living in Statesboro, 2008. I bought my first Bible. I started reading it. I had nobody to teach me. And I was really lost. Bible's not an easy book to pick up and start reading. But in the very beginning, what did I do? I went to Google. And I got some good Christian answers. And I got some really bad non-Christian answers. And I found after a day on Google, I was more confused than when I started. So you know what I started doing? I stopped going to Google, and I just started asking God, if this is your word, and you want me to read it, and you want me to know it, God, give me wisdom. I believe you want me to have this wisdom, and I believe you can give it to me, and I believe you will because I'm asking in faith. Little by little, day by day. I don't know how it is for you, but reading the Bible for me is like a fog that slowly has been lifting the past few years. There's still some foggy moments in there. I'll read Scripture and I'll stare at it and go back and read it again. And I'll say, I don't know if I quite understand this. But as I look at passages that two, three years ago made no sense whatsoever, all of a sudden that fog is starting to lift. 
and I'm seeing with more clarity than I ever have before things that God has revealed to us in his word. But I also believe that he's done that because I've asked him. And I believe he'll do that for everyone in this room. You do not need a seminary education. You don't. You need to understand I'm not the best student in the world. I was a C-plus student in high school. I was a C-minus student in college. You don't need to be a brainiac. In fact, sometimes the smarter you are, the more hindrance it can be to understanding the Bible. Because you go to God not with a spirit of humility, but with a spirit of pride. He knows that if you know more about the Bible, all you're going to do is stand by the water cooler and brag about what you know about Scripture. I mean, I'll tell you what, there's nothing more dangerous than a single man, and I know this having been a single man in my 30s, who is dating a Christian woman, because that man will try his very best to impress her with how much Bible knowledge he has. That's not the type of knowledge God wants to give you. He's not going to bless you with all types of Bible knowledge so that you can impress your your girlfriend at Olive Garden. I don't care about the endless salad and breadsticks. He's not going to give you the wisdom. All right? But when you want that wisdom to live as God has called you to live, open up the door and be ready for a blessing because it's coming. That's belief. Not challenging the character of God, knowing that He can, that He wants to, and that He will give these things to you if it is that you'll ask. And and, and again, let me say, it says not to be double-minded. What does He mean by double-minded? Well, the best example I can give is someone who lives life one way on Monday through Saturday, but they come into church another way on Sunday. And I don't have to say, we all know what I'm talking about. Maybe all of us have been guilty of that at some point in our lives. You know, the toughest time in life for those type of things is typically those in college and those in their early uh, 20s and 30s because you're just starting to enjoy the fruits of working full-time and having money to go and do certain things. And Monday through Saturday, the light, your life's like a playground. But then you come in Sunday and you want to get right with the Lord. Well, the double-minded people have no conviction. They do whatever they want Monday through Saturday Then they come in on Sunday thinking, well, I'll just toss a few dollars in the plate. I'll offer a prayer up to God and everything will be gravy. Well, if that's the type of person you are, don't expect that God's going to bless you with wisdom because he's not going to cast his pearls before swine. He's not going to do that. If he gives you godly wisdom, he expects you to use it. And if he knows you're not going to use it for his glory, then you're not going to get what you ask for. You have to come in faith and believe. And let me say this before we draw to a close here. The word believe in the New Testament is, is a present tense action verb. It's not just acknowledging with your mind. Let's remember this. Satan knows who Jesus is. It's not acknowledging facts. That's not belief. Belief are facts that have gone from your head and they've changed your heart. And belief is believing into God. It means more and more as you walk with him, you're believing into him. He's a part of your life. You know what the funny thing? Have you ever had this happen in your life? You know when I really started acknowledging that the Spirit was doing something in my life, when I started even having dreams about God. All right, There were times in my life where God was a thought that came into my mind a couple of times a day or even a week. But as I began to walk with Him, I started noticing that not only was I praying to God and reading His Word and seeing what He was doing in my life while I was awake, I was even praying for God to help me while I was asleep. There was a change that took place in my life. And I believe that change is what he calls for all Christians. That as you continue to walk with him, you see his hand on everything. And you start believing into him. You start trusting in him for all of your finances. You start trusting in him for for taking the broken parts of your marriage and bringing them back together again. For bringing healing and bringing restoration. 
You start trusting in him for those things and leaning on him for those things. And like the hemorrhaging woman who went decades without stopping the blood that you cling to the hem of his garment and say, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. I'm not letting go because I know you're, you're the corner of that blessing and I want that blessing because I want you. When you go to God with that type of expectation, you will be blessed. Now one caveat to that. Christian television takes what I just preached and makes an abomination of it. I'm not going to call out names, but I will call out doctrines. It's called the name it and claim it prosperity gospel, and it is garbage. It says if you only believe, you'll have all the best health. You'll have all the best wealth because you're a child of the most high God. Amen. I'm telling you, that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. That is humanistic psychology. That is not Bible. And what happens when you hear that, you don't think about how great God is. You think about how great you are. And all you say, well, God will bless me because he loves me because, hey, I love me. And that theology will never help you to grow as a Christian. All it will do is make God a magic genie where you rub on his lamp, ask your three wishes, and wait for God to bless it. That's not what the Christian life is about. It's more than that. It's deeper than that. If I can say so, it's better than that. Because all the greatest health in the world means nothing, and all the greatest wealth in the world means nothing, because eventually when you stand before God, you're not going to have either one of those. But the wisdom and the love and the sweet relationship that God desires to have with you, that will last for all of eternity. And you couldn't put a price tag on being able to have a relationship with my Creator. It is the most wonderful thing. Yeah, I can't put a price tag on it. And you know what? I do pray when I'm sick that God would make me well, but if he doesn't, what does it say in Philippians? For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. If God keeps me here another 50 years, praise God, I'm going to preach the gospel. If God calls me home tomorrow, praise God, I get to be with him in his presence. It's a win-win scenario, and that's what God's called us to. But when we pray, we have to believe. And when we do, He's going to pour in a blessing like you've never experienced before. But you've got to seek Him by asking. You've got to know Him and know His heart. And you've got to believe in faith, knowing that if He does bless you, you're going to use that wisdom for His kingdom. So let's sum all this up. How do I take everything I just said and put it in one sentence for us to understand? Well, seeking wisdom by asking God, knowing God, and believing in God will make us like Jesus because the wisdom of God is Jesus. We're not just seeking understanding. We're seeking a person. All right? It says in 1 John 1, or excuse me, in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That, the word Word talks about the wisdom of God. When God wanted to show His wisdom to the world, he showed it in a person. Jesus came to show everyone who God is and what God loves. And so our ultimate goal in life is not a happy retirement, even though that's a blessing if you have it. All right, it's not comfort and pleasure. There's nothing wrong with those things, but that's not the goal. It's not all this prosperity that we think about. Your goal in life, I don't care how old you are, where you're from, what gender you are, I don't care. The goal of this life is for you to be like Jesus. And as you know Jesus, you start to become like Jesus. That's why our mission statement, heads, hearts, and hands, being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we come together every week 
and we're in, in, on our knees in prayer and we're asking God for blessings of wisdom and we're seeking his word and we're taking what God gives us and we're being men and, God of, and, and women of, of God who are wise in the house and wise in the workplace and wise in the neighborhoods, we're going to look like a bunch of representations of Jesus Christ who leave the walls and expand God's kingdom. That's the goal of this life. God wants you to be like Jesus. That's why he created you. That's the goal of wisdom. And God will accomplish that goal again if we ask him, if we know him, and if we believe him. So let me just give you these takeaways and we'll pray out. What three things should we know about godly wisdom based on our our word here today from James? Well, first, ask God because he's the source of it. All right, don't go to North Carolina to get Vidalia onions. You got onion farmer in the backyard. He's got plenty of them. Go straight to the source. All right, two, know God because he's a generous giver of it. Don't ever worry if you're willing to live for God that if you ask for wisdom, he's not going to give it to you because he will. And third, believe God because he has a purpose for it. And that purpose, once again, is to make you more like Jesus. What if everybody in this room spent one week praying for God to give us wisdom and then prayed for God to help us to use that wisdom for his glory? I don't think Candler County would be ready for it. But that's still my prayer, that we would be people of godly wisdom. Let us pray together. Father, we do love you, and we acknowledge that you are the source of all wisdom. Wisdom to be the people that you've called for us to be. Wisdom to live the lives that you've called for us to live. And Father, we're distracted by so many things that are not as important. I pray, Father, in this sanctuary here right now that you would invade the hearts and minds of those who are called to follow your Son. And Father, I pray that you would invade our hearts and minds with a, with a piercing of the heart, with an understanding that we need to pray for wisdom because we can't fulfill your will without it. But also, Father, in knowing your heart to give it and believing that you will give it for your glory and for our good. Help us to be men and, and women of wisdom, Father. Not just earthly wisdom because that's important but godly wisdom that will last forever as we expand your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, amen.